fair game. We're learning as we study the Gospel of Mark that the critics hounded Jesus Christ. And we've observed many times as the critics have come, Jesus responded just by ignoring them, just leaving them alone. Let them talk and move on. He was a man that knew their hearts, and he could have spent his entire time just responding to the critics. And of course, he would have accomplished nothing else in life other than responding to his critics. I think of the words of Solomon in Proverbs 26 and verse 4. The Bible says this, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. We spend all our time arguing with critics. It's hard at the end of the day to tell which one's the critic and which one's not. If you argue with a fool, the Bible would say, it's hard to tell the two apart sometimes. And so the Bible says, answer not a fool. But let me read the next verse to you in Proverbs 26. The Bible says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. One verse says, answer not. The very next verse says, answer. So which is it? And the context in that passage is this. That's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom knows when to let it go, when to ignore it, when to overlook it. And there are also times through wisdom where we need to address it and confront it and deal with it. And we're coming to an occasion in our study where Jesus Christ had to confront the critics that were coming into his life. The occasion we're going to see was an unfair attack by the Pharisees, the religious crowd, on the lives of the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ. They were making a journey on a special day. It was a day the Bible calls the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day is actually Saturday. That was the day of the week it would have been. And it was a day given by God to the Jewish people as a day of rest and a day of devotion to God. And so we find that on the Sabbath day, the disciples were traveling and the Pharisees were being critical of them. And being a gracious Lord and Savior, Jesus, he came to the aid of his disciples. When they were being criticized, Jesus decided it's now time to speak up, to say something. And I'm going to invite you today, if you're able to join me in standing as we look to the word of God. And we're going to read this text together. Mark chapter 2, as you're standing, please. And I'll tell you what we're going to do today. We're going to study the Bible. Somebody told me, we don't do that at our church. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's fine, but that's, that's how we do it here, okay? And we're going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And we're doing our best not to look to the Word of God to find what it is we want to find, but to let the Word of God speak unto us, to say what it says. And we're coming to a text that is a text that, in all honesty, it could have been wrapped into our previous study, but there's a point to be made here that I want our church to get a hold of. And I think we can be helped and encouraged by it. And I'm going to do my very best today, all right? I'm going to do, I already said everyone has critics. I'm saying I'm going to do my very best today to be a diligent teacher of the Word of God, all right? And I want to encourage you to do your very best today to be a diligent student of the Word of God. And I think if we work hard today, the Lord looking in will be pleased by all of that, and we can learn something, and we'll be helped. And we're going to look today at our text, Mark chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 23. It came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did? When he had need and was in hunger, he and they that were with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, 
And that word therefore basically means this. Based on what I've just told you, based on, on what I'm teaching you, therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Son of Man is an expression really from the Old Testament that speaks of, of the promised one from God, the Messiah. And it was the term Jesus most used to refer to Himself, the Son of Man. And so Jesus here says, therefore, the, the Son of Man, speaking of Himself, is Lord also of the Sabbath. And I want us to think of that expression today, Lord also of the Sabbath. And again, I, I do believe if we'll just give ourselves to this study that we can all learn some things that will be a help and a blessing to us. So I'm going to pray aloud now, asking the Lord to help me. And I hope as I'm praying in your heart, you'll be saying, Lord, me too. Help me to get in on this as well. Our Father, we thank you that when we open the Bible to study, we're opening a perfect book, a preserved book, a book that you've given us that teaches us how to know you and how to make the most of this life that you've given us. And, and Lord, I pray that you'll help me today to be a teacher that would be, first of all, pleasing to you, Lord. And beyond that, I pray that the, the message that we cover today would, would be helpful to those that you brought into this place. I love you, Lord, and I pray that, that, uh, that, that I would say everything just as you would have it to be said today. Now, I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our study in the Gospel of Mark has revealed that there was increasing animosity from a group called the Pharisees towards Jesus Christ. It might be helpful to be reminded that the atheist didn't crucify Jesus, the agnostic didn't crucify Jesus, the, the God-deniers, so to speak, didn't crucify Jesus. It was the religious crowd that crucified Jesus, and, and primarily it was the influence of this group called the Pharisees. And when the Pharisees became irritated at Christ for not going along with things the way they thought he should, it, it all started with a question in their heart. In fact, we can find all of this here in Mark chapter 2. It, it began in verse 6, the Bible says, as they questioned in their hearts. And so they went on one step further in verse 16. We find they took their questions about Christ to the disciples. And many times critics do that. They work through this process. They, they didn't go to Jesus right away personally. They just were critical in their heart. And, and then rather than talking to the person they had a problem with, they thought they'd talk to those close to that person. But then finally in the text before us, as they've gone through this whole subversive process, they, they come to Jesus and they, they are critical of, of His followers. And as we look to this text today, the first element we're going to consider is the criticism of the skeptics. The criticism of the skeptics. So the scene develops, and here it is. The, the Lord is walking. It's the Sabbath day. His disciples are following. They're hungry. And so they pick an ear of corn as they're walking through the fields. They, they pull the husk back. They, they shuck that ear of corn, and, and they begin to eat that corn. Well, we know that there's nothing wrong with, with eating, but as we look at, at the world and the day in which they're living, we might wonder, well, are you allowed to just pick someone's ear of corn? And the answer to that is yes. That's how things were done back in this time. There was no uh, so social net, no safety net. If, if people had needs, the farmers, as they would seed their fields, would overseed their fields, and the roads and the paths in between fields would, would have seed thrown on them, and some would grow up there. As people walked, they could pick some. If you were poor and didn't have a way to get a meal, it was just known you could come around the edges of these fields and you could take what you would pick. Now, you couldn't take a sickle and harvest the crop. That would be stealing. But the way things were designed, there was an overage of this crop so that people traveling and so people with needs, poor people, could come and take of the crops. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, the Bible clarifies to us how this works. The Bible says there, When thou comest into the standing corn of thy neighbor, then 
thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. Six days out of the week this could have happened, and nobody would have had a problem with it. But on the Sabbath, the disciples go through, they pick this corn, they, they pull the husk back, they begin to eat it, and the disciples, as they're doing this, are being observed by these Pharisees who take great exception. They were upset about that. In fact, the wording of the text really helps us to see this. Look in verse 24, the Bible says this, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? That word behold is an important word. It means to look at intently. It means to gaze. In fact, the idea in the wording there gives us the idea of, of watching something. Teatro, maybe the idea of watching in a theater with an expectation of what it is you'll observe. And that word I often point out is, is an intense word. And it gives you the idea that these Pharisees, as they're watching Jesus and the disciples, they were involved in some serious Sabbath surveillance. By that word, we know they were observing Jesus and they were observing the disciples, and I'm sure they were just so happy to find that something took place in their lives that they could be critical of. But I want us to take a moment to find out what the law of God had to say about that which the disciples did. God's law regarding the Sabbath reads this way in the book of Exodus chapter 20. The Bible says, God speaking, He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now the word holy means to set something apart to God. So God says, I want you to remember this day, this Sabbath day, and, and I want you to keep it set apart for me. He said, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, nor uh, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger, that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He reserved it. It's interesting that the Bible tells us that God rested on the seventh day after creation. And there's a great picture of, of what that means. But one thing it does not mean is that God was tired. He was giving us an example, the value of setting aside this Sabbath day. He, he, he was doing that to teach us. Now, the Pharisees, they hedged the Sabbath in with a thousand man-made rules and regulations. And they were ridiculous, most of them. One I read said this, You could eat an egg on the Sabbath day, but you could not eat an egg that a chicken laid on the Sabbath because that meant the chicken worked. Okay? And it had work, you couldn't eat it. They just made rule upon rule upon rule. God would give a, a clear-cut command. God would say something. God would mean what He would say. And then the Pharisees would come along, taking the commands of God, and they would just build them into these great big monstrosities. They made the Sabbath a burden when God gave it to be a blessing. In their view, in their view, if you picked an ear of corn, that was like harvesting it. And if you shucked that corn, pulling the husk back, that was like threshing or, or preparing the, the, the harvest for, for the market. It was ridiculous. It was absurd. And so when, when they would hear from God that said, don't work on the Sabbath day, that didn't mean don't have a meal. But they would take it to such a bizarre extreme that they were critical of everybody who didn't follow their traditions. Their traditions. I'd love to say that their approach is is not with us today, but I think the pride that would lead the Pharisees to do what they did, it, it's still with us today. And it stems from a self-righteous attitude that says, you know, I'm going to create this system, 
And we find validation for ourselves in this system, and we find a very good basis to be critical of others who don't do it exactly the way we do it. In our day, we see so many involved in battles over issues that really are nothing more than preferences. They're not God's Word. They're they're our, our own ideas. And if you have a preference, then so be it. Call it what it is, but... But to seek to make it a standard whereby others aren't as good as you if they don't do it the way you do it is to have a pharisaical attitude that's really displeasing to God. Years ago, our family moved to Tennessee. I served on a church staff there. It was a large church and a very traditional church. And some of you have been to the South or from the South. And in the traditional areas in the, in the South, there's, there's a lot of expectations in churches. And I don't know how all the rules work. Maybe some of you ladies will know what I'm talking about. There's some colors you only wear after this holiday or that. And there's this whole thing on that that I didn't quite get, but it's a really big deal in the South. And, and also, there's an expectation when you go to church that the pastors look a certain way. And, and as I showed up to that first service uh, where I was going to be serving in that church, I was wearing a suit really about the color of this one. And after the service, my pastor came up to me and, and he said to me, he said, Steve, I want you to uh, know you're, you're in a, a very traditional area here and, and I know it's probably a little different than where you're from. He said, I'd, I'd prefer you wear a dark suit, a double-breasted suit as well. And sometimes my face says things I don't mean for it to say and apparently, <laughs> apparently my face said to him when he said that, I don't have a suit like that, okay? I had one suit, I was wearing it. And he, apparently he didn't like the one suit I had, you know? And when I gave him that look, he said, do you have a suit like that? And I said, no, sir. He said, I'll, I'll pick you up tomorrow. I'll take you to buy one. And he did. He took me to Coachman's and he got me a, a, a nice suit. And as I recollect, a couple of nice shirts and ties and, and outfitted me. And I wore that suit uh, for the next couple of years. I served on staff there every single Sunday. I wore that suit. You see, I had no problem doing something that was his preference he was my pastor. It wasn't unbiblical. He, he, he was the one calling the shot. I had no problem if he said, look, this is my preference. It's all it is. It's just, I prefer it this way. I had no problem saying, God brought me here. And to be honest with you, if you asked me to wear purple pajamas to work, what difference does it make? It's not a sin. And if that's something you would prefer, I thought, you know what? What's the big deal? That's the least I can do. Now, had he said, if you don't wear a dark double-breasted suit, you're not a good person. And God's mad at you. And if you don't wear the same kind of suit I wear, then, then you're, 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 you're not accepted the same way I am. I would have had a problem with that if someone tried to say, if you don't do it exactly the way I do it, you're not a good person. But if someone just says, listen, this is my preference. I see no problem in us having preferences, but we need to call them what they are and not try to make our preferences out to be something that God has said. And that's where the Pharisees got off base. They would develop their preferences and then claim that if you didn't go along with their traditions that you weren't a true follower of God and that God was displeased with you. And that is a poor attitude that pushes people away from the truth. We see the criticism of the skeptics, but as we, as we move on in this study, we see the correction of the Scripture. I love what Jesus says here. In verse 25, Jesus said this, Have, have you never read what David did? Now, I'll remind you, he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees would have had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. 
Oh, they would have heard all about David. They, they would have known it all, but Jesus here, he responds by getting straight to the Scriptures. He says, have you never read what David did? We know what David did was written in the Bible, and Jesus was essentially saying, you need to look to the Bible for direction in life, not to the, to the traditions of your fathers. You see, they were more interested in the traditions of their fathers than in the Word of God the Father. That was a problem. You know, so many of the problems in our lives would just clear up if we would open the Word of God, learn it, believe it, and then live it. Jesus told these, these men basically this, you need to read your Bible. You need to just read your Bible. I don't know what to do. Read your Bible. Going through this hard time, I'm not exactly sure how to handle it. Jesus would say, that's what the Bible's for. It's a roadmap for life. You need to read the Bible. I remember one time John the Baptist was going through a tough time. He was in prison. It seemed like nothing was going right. And John the Baptist had some of his followers that were there. And, and he said, I want you to go ask Jesus something for me. Ask Jesus if he's the Christ, which means the sent one from God. Now, he knew Jesus. They were related. He said, but I want you to ask him, is he really God the Son, the one that was sent? And the Bible unfolds this before us in Matthew 11. And the Bible says in these verses, now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Now, before we read on, what prompted John to send his disciples was he heard what Jesus was doing. He heard what Jesus was doing. So he sends his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? So he's saying there, Jesus, are you really God the Son, or are we missing something here? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. As we read through those verses, Jesus said to those servants of John the Baptist, those followers of John the Baptist, he said, go tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. And then he said the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and so forth. And you know when Jesus, when he said those words, those weren't just extemporaneous thoughts off the top of his head. Jesus there was quoting the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 29. So John, John sends a question to Jesus. Are you really God the Son? I've heard what's going on here. And Jesus said, I want you to go tell John the Baptist basically to read his Bible. Because everything the Old Testament Scripture said the Messiah would do when He would come, it's being done in and through me. John knew that or he would not have sent the questioners. And the questioners, when they came, they too heard and they saw. And Jesus' response to John in this time of discouragement, and this time of doubting, even a time of despair, He said, I want you to get in the Bible and read the Bible because if you remove yourself from the Scriptures, you're only left to the traditions of people. And when these doubts and discouragements and divisions come into our lives, we would do well to follow the example of Jesus and get in the Bible. Most Christians today, not, not just the world in general, but most Christians even who go to church have such a small knowledge of the Bible and spend so little time reading the Bible. We're really not sure what it is that God has said. We're just left up to whatever it is the preacher told us that God said. And God says, no, 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 it's got to go deeper than that. We've got to get in the book. When these times come, we need to make sure we're reading the Bible. It's in the Bible that we find the timeless truths that, that supersede any traditions that, that man may make. And I have no doubt that these critics had read the passage Jesus referenced, but they weren't looking for the truth, they were looking for the trivia. 
You see, they weren't looking for the meaning. They were just looking for the minutia. The Bible for them had become a legal book for prosecuting attorneys rather than a love letter from God. The Bible for them had become a club that they could beat over the head of their enemies rather than that love letter from God where they can understand that God loves everybody and wants everyone to come to know Him. In all their knowledge, they missed the obvious. So we see the correction of the Scripture, but that leads us as we move on to see the comparison of the showbread. Now Jesus takes them back to an experience in the life of David, and David was the most revered figure in Jewish history. So when Jesus asked these Pharisees, who were like PhDs, he said, uh, you guys, you're not familiar with David? I mean, that was like the ultimate of insults. The most recognizable figure in Jewish history. And so Jesus takes them back to this occasion where, where David did something interesting. The occasion Jesus references is coming from 1 Samuel chapter 21 in the Old Testament. And, and in that text, David and some of his followers were on the run. They were literally famished. They were starving. And they come to a place of worship, and there's a priest there, and David says, do you have anything to eat? And the priest says, well, we only have this showbread. You're probably thinking, well, what's showbread? Showbread was a special bread that was placed in the presence of God every week as an offering. It was an offering. And at the end of a week, it would be taken away and it would be replaced. And the only people who could eat the bread as it was taken away were the priests, nobody else. And so David says, you have any food? The priest says, well, we only have this showbread. And David says, great, I'll take it. And David took it and he ate it. And he gave it to all of his men that were with him. And as he ate it and those with him ate it, we find that God did not say a word. Not a word. Why not? Well, the obvious lesson is that God is not a legalist and that his laws are always wise. And always benevolent. It's interesting for some that in this text here, Jesus refers to the days of Abiathar in verse 26. I want to give you a parenthetical thought and we'll come back to this and finish it up. There are people today who say, you know, the Bible is not 100% correct. It's not accurate. And I couldn't know every occasion they'd point to, but I know people a lot smarter than me and probably smarter than you. I don't know who've given their lives to find contradictions. They come up dry. And it's interesting, Jesus says in the days of Abiathar, and if you go back to the text in 1 Samuel 21 that Jesus is referencing, you're going to find it was actually a high priest at that time by the name of Abimelech. It was the father of Abiathar. Abiathar was just serving alongside his father, but his father was the priest. And, and some have said, well, that means that, that Jesus made a mistake. He, he couldn't have been God. He couldn't have been perfect. He made a mistake. And, and I, I want you to know that before our Bible had chapters and verses, it was a little more difficult to point someone to a passage of Scripture. And it was common practice at this time for, for these people to say, uh, you know, the text, and they would mention the most prominent event or prominent person in that text. Abiathar was far more pre uh, prevalent than his father. And it was indeed the times of, of this one, Abiathar, we know, because he was alive and serving with his dad. And I, I just want to underscore this, this point. The Bible is always true. And if there's something I can't understand in the Bible, it doesn't make it untrue. It means I need to study more and I need to learn. And in a world that is filled with so much uh, 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 knowledge and so many facts and so many books, I want you to know there's only one book that is a living book, that is a God-breathed book, that is preserved. In other words, God gave us this message through inspiration, and God, by His grace, has preserved it so we can open the Bible and we can hear exactly what it is God wants us to hear. 
Jesus told these men, you need to read your Bible. He sent them back to 1 Samuel 21. This text which Jesus referred is a great case in point for the reality that His law and His work are not for our detriment, but for our good. I want you to know today that God did not create you for the law, but rather He created the law for you. Jesus said it this way, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. He was saying that He did not institute a time for physical and spiritual rest for Him, but for us. Over the years, I've sought to keep this as a principle that is alive at Coastline Baptist Church. Let me tell you my goal at Coastline Baptist Church. It's never been to have a certain number of people come. I'm not against a lot of people. I'd prefer have more than less. But at the end of the day, if no one was pleased with Coastline Baptist Church, but God was, I, I could live with that. Now, I know I'm imperfect. I'm a work in progress like everyone else. But really, at the end of the day, I want a church that understands the truth of God's word and does our best to teach the Bible, not as people want to hear it, but as it is in reality. And I want a church that, that in principle sees the value in loving and helping people. We don't want to be a church that says, here's a bunch of people, let's get them together so they can build the church. But rather, we want to be a church that builds up people. And there is a difference. I heard a poem one time. It said, Mary had a little lamb. It never became a sheep. It joined Coastline Baptist Church and died from lack of sleep. Okay? <laughs> we don't want to be that church. I, I know we've got a lot of things going on. It's because we've got a big God and there's just so many needs in our world and so many people need help. But there is a distinction between a church that uses people for its benefit versus people that can come to a church and find the church investing in them and helping them. And that's the perspective that God brings to this. You see, I'm not suggesting in this that something other than our full commitment to God is acceptable. But I am saying that we as people have a propensity to add to that which God has said. And when we do, we make His way needlessly difficult. The call is not to follow a person or a procedure or a program. The call is to follow God. As we move into the final part of our study, we have to see here the conclusion of the Sabbath. Sometimes we read the scriptures and we, we understand what we're reading, but we don't understand how it would have been heard. And, and so we see that in this final verse, Jesus says, therefore, on the basis of what I've just told you, therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And I can just imagine when Jesus says that, the jaws of the Pharisees drop and they can't believe what they're hearing. First of all, Jesus refers to himself as, as the son of man. Oh, man, they, they would have thought, no, no, he didn't. Did he just call himself the son of man? I'm not believing this because that was big time. And then he said he was Lord of the Sabbath. They would have, they would have taken exception with that. They, they wouldn't have been real pleased to hear that. That statement was huge. Jesus was saying there that he's God and he's Lord of the Sabbath. And that meant that he could do whatever he wanted to do with the Sabbath day. And that's just what Jesus did. In time, Jesus came. He fulfilled the law and he brought an end to the Sabbath. That day on, on Saturday that was set aside, he, he put an end to that actually following the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28 and verse 1. If that's in your notes, I want you to look at that. In the end of the Sabbath, if you like to underline things, underline that expression or circle it or highlight it, 
put a star next to it. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, that statement in the end of the Sabbath, I know what that means. It means it was the end of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath went from 6 p.m. Friday night to 6 p.m. Saturday night as it came to the end of the Sabbath. We understand what was happening there. I realize that. But I want you to understand that also in the Bible, that really is the end of the Sabbath. That was the end of it. No more after that. Because Jesus rose again the, 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 the next day we know He came. He rose again on, on a Sunday morning. Things changed. He, he rose again on, on Sunday morning. The church received the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. On, on that Pentecost Sunday, the followers of Christ met for worship on the first day of the week, which is, which is Sunday. And today, we, because of Christ, we don't find our rest in a day. We find our rest in Jesus Christ. You see, this is what Jesus was getting here. He he was saying, listen, it's not through religion. It's not through rules. It's not through a a denomination. It's not through a creed. It's not through some emotion. It's not through some ritual that you do. Jesus was saying that He is God. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And no longer do you, you need to look to a day for a rest that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We don't find a relationship with God through the law. We find death in the law because none of us can measure up to God's standard. Not one of us. You see, Jesus didn't uh, talk about the law in the sense that we're supposed to keep it to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. And so we can say, God, I, I find validation in my goodness. The law was given ultimately with the understanding none of us can keep it. It shows us the error of our ways and the need for a Savior. All of it directs us right back to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, no more are you looking to that day, you can look to me. We find another principle in this. The principle is that God has established a day for our benefit. In the Garden of Eden, in the beginning of time, he, he gave it to Adam. This day of rest. He affirmed it to his people on Mount Sinai. And we find this day in principle in our time in the day we call Sunday. It's for us. but We, we sometimes refer to it as the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10.25 said this, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's a day that can benefit our minds, our bodies, spiritually we find renewal, but we must follow the teachings of Exodus 8 and we need to remember it and keep it holy. Holy meaning separated unto the Lord. Pastor, let me get this straight. You're saying we don't have to go to church to go to heaven? Exactly. But you're saying that if we know the Lord, we should go to church? Exactly. What are you saying that for? Because it's in the Bible. And we're studying the Bible. As the Civil War came to an end, the The capital for the South, Richmond, Virginia, fell. The hands of the Union troops. President Lincoln made a decision, I'm going to go visit there. He was advised against it, but he just wanted to go. He showed up unannounced. No one knew he was coming, but as he arrived, the slaves there, who were recently freed by the Emancipation Proclamation, recognized, perhaps the most recognizable of all our presidents. We know he was very tall, and he always wore that hat and had a had an unusual beard. 
And as he showed up, everyone sees him and they all gather around. And there was a man who was there with him, a man by the name of Admiral David Porter, and he was an eyewitness to the president as he interacted with these newly freed slaves and as he began to speak with them. And he, he recorded what it was the president said that day. He said, my poor friends, you are free. You are free as air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample upon it. He said, liberty is your birthright. But the president then changed the tone of his words. He said, let the world see that you merit or that you deserve freedom. He said, don't let your joy carry you into excesses. Learn the laws of the land and obey them. I think in a very similar sense, that's how the Lord speaks to us. He says, listen, freedom is something you receive from me. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're spiritually free. Your sins have been forgiven. You're assured of a home in heaven. But then I sense the Lord saying things to us as Paul wrote, walk worthy. Live like what you are. Don't take your freedom as an occasion to say, hey, I'm free. I'll do whatever it is I want to do. Take your freedom and use it as an occasion to say, I want to do what I'm supposed to do. Not because I'm working off a debt with God so somehow He'll like me. God couldn't love you more no matter what we did. But from a heart of gratitude because of the grace of God, we say, God, my behavior does not bring about the beliefs in my life. However, my beliefs... My beliefs will always lead to proper behavior. Don't take your liberty and use it as an occasion to do the wrong thing, he would say. Use it to do the right thing. You see, the Pharisees are not like, unlike many of us today. They thought a relationship with God could be gained through, through our behavior. Many people today kind of envision in their mind's eye a gigantic scale. And we got all our wrong stuff over here, and then we got all our good stuff over here. And we're just kind of hopeful that when the proverbial number is punched, we got enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff. And here's the problem with that. Well, there's a lot of problems with that. First of all, it's not accurate. That's not what the Bible teaches. Number two, the Bible says we can know that we have eternal life. And, and if that's your philosophy, you're never sure. You're just hoping but the, the other problem with this is for our entire lifetime with this philosophy, we're the ones to determine where we stand. And if you're the judge in your own case, you're always going to bring yourself out in pretty good shape. Well, I think I'll be okay. And, and that, that rationale in, in our minds, it's, it's the heart of the Pharisees who said, I'll show you how awesome I am. Look at all these good works I do. I don't even pit corn on the Sabbath day. I'm so awesome. I don't even eat eggs that were laying on the Sabbath day. I make sure I got them from, from the day before. They said, that's through our, our behavior that, that we're okay with God. And, and the Lord says, no, it's not behavior. It's, it's beliefs. It's beliefs. I wonder, have you personally met the Lord of the Sabbath? Have you met him? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Because at the end of the day, it's not about the good we did or the bad we did. It's about what we did with Jesus. Did we accept him? 
or reject him. Our Father, thank you for the opportunity to learn and grow. And, and Lord, I'm thankful for, for the Bible, for what it is you teach us here. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be uh, honest with what it is you put on our hearts.